Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we have jumped back into the book of Mark, and today we are going to consider a passage of Mark that is kind of considered one of the, the hinge points, one of the most important parts of the book, one of the key pieces in this book of Mark, and it's in chapter 8, and uh, if you don't know where Mark is in your Bible, just find Matthew, and it's the one right after that, Matthew, Mark. Um, And uh, Mark chapter 8 is what we're going to be in, and towards the end of the chapter. And this is uh, what many scholars describe as the way section of the book of Mark. And the reason they call it that is because Mark uses this term, the way, several times in this passage, and it's the only time he uses this term, the way. And the way that Jesus is going is towards Jerusalem. And, and well, in a moment you'll see a map, and it's, it's clear he's not totally always going to Jerusalem. And what Mark has done, and I shared this a few weeks ago, is it's like he has these Polaroids, of these events that happened in Jesus' life, and he stuffed them away in a box, and Peter had these Polaroids, and he stuffed them away in a box, and they get them all out, and they decide, how are we going to organize this, because we don't have any dates on them. And so instead of organizing it chronologically, they decide they're going to organize this thematically, okay? So they start, so think about like your kid, so one way you could organize their pictures would be chronologically. This happened this date, then this the next date, then this the next date, then this the next date. You could also do it thematically, right? So you could have little Betty Sue's, you know, all of her dancing in one album. And so you would see it, and it wouldn't be necessarily chronological. You could have one page that had, like, all of her dancing from all of the years she ever danced. And so there'd be pictures where she was, like, two... Can you dance when you're two? And then there'd be pictures when she's like 32, right? Dancing for the New York Ballet Company or however that works. So you can do this thematically. And that's kind of what Peter and, and Mark have done here in this gospel. They've taken this idea, these ideas, these stories, these events that happen in the life of Jesus. And instead of telling you how they happen chronologically, which us Westerners really, really like, they decided let's do it thematically and so this theme in this section of the book of mark is the way section and the theme is we are on our way to jerusalem to die (laughs) jesus is on his way to jerusalem to die and it follows on the heels of of a couple big miracles i mean one was where he fed the five thousand another was when he fed the four thousand and And he's done these amazing things. And we looked at that in the last few weeks. And and now a question is going to become the centerpiece of the book. Now, it's already been the centerpiece of the book, but it hasn't been as obvious as it's about to become. So let's get into this book. Let's read a little bit here and see what God's word for us today might be. In Mark chapter 8. Verse 22. They came, they is Jesus and the disciples. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. 
And when he, he had spit on the man's eyes, <laughs> I haven't seen that precious moment figurine yet. <laughs> and nobody pictures Jesus like that, right? When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. (laughs) Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now he's thinking about stopping there because that's a weird story. And if it's weird, it's important. Isn't that a weird story? I mean, it's almost like Jesus doesn't have the mojo in this story. He like woke up and he didn't quite have the divine power that he's kind of used to. You know, this is almost like he took that first step in the lake and he sunk and he's like, whoops, got to try that again. Or he didn't have enough bread to feed. What is going on with this story? We've seen him miraculously feed people. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him do amazing things when he isn't even present around the person. Why does it take two touches to heal this guy? Do you know Mark is the only gospel that has this story? Matthew, Luke, John, they left this one out. Why do you think they'd leave this one out? It could be because it's weird. could be because, well, now we've got to explain what's going on, and I don't want to explain what's going on because, frankly, maybe they didn't understand. Now, remember, Mark is relating these things to us, not chronologically, but thematically. So one of the, what do you think is going to be one of the themes that he's dealing with with the next couple of stories based on the kind of person he's healing Blindness. Blindness is one of the issues that is being dealt with in this part of this passage of Mark. It's one of the overarching themes. Now, right before this, Jesus gets into a boat and the disciples don't have any bread. They have, well, actually they, have, they have a loaf and they're worried that they don't have enough bread for everybody. And Jesus says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and also of Herod. And we got to remember that story when we come to these stories. And one of the things that Mark is trying to do with those stories is tell us that one of the issues that these disciples, that Israel, that all of us face is impurity. You see the picture of leaven in bread. If you remember the Passover story, they weren't supposed to have any leaven in the bread. And leaven in the bread was always this issue of purity. That's what they would have been thinking when Jesus is talking about leaven. Well, they weren't that time because they are blind, right? He must be talking because we didn't bring enough bread even though he just fed 4,000 people. They don't get that this discussion is about impurity. They don't get bigger that this discussion is about who is real Israel. They don't get that this discussion is who is really a subject of Messiah. And Jesus is about to open up some eyes. That's why Mark begins the way section with this story about the blind guy. And then he follows it up really quickly with the next part we're going to read. But why two touches? Why spit? What is going on here? Any suggestions? Because I've read a lot this week and I'm... Anyone? All right, I'll share what I think is going on here. 
Well, let's read the next passage first. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do you say, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That seems weird, too. I mean, all I hear when I come to church is people being warned to tell people about Jesus. But here Jesus is telling Peter, don't tell anybody who I am. These are weird stories. And remember, Mark is arranging these things thematically. Why do we think this is thematic? Because if, if they're in Bethsaida, and the next one happens in Caesarea Philippi, Do you have any idea where those are? Of course not. We're Americans. We don't know geography. Right? I mean, and I'm at the top of that list. I'm not insulting you. I'm insulting myself. I mean, I don't know where stuff is. I know where America is, but that's about it. You know, Canada, they're this fuzzy northern place. And Mexico, they're this funny, fuzzy southern place. But outside of that... I don't have a very good picture of the world in my head. Like if you asked me to draw it, it'd be scary. So here in Israel, Bethsaida is a little town just north. In fact, show us the map because that's easier. Bethsaida is on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. Do you see it right there? It's hard to see. Sorry about that. Bethsaida is on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where the healing of the blind man occurs, according to Mark. The next episode, if they're on their way to Jerusalem, where would you expect it to occur? You see, where is Jerusalem on that picture? Well, it's not on that picture, but it's south. It's south. So if they're on the way to Jerusalem, why are they going north? Now remember, Mark has arranged this thematically, not chronologically, not even geographically. This is thematic. The material is thematic. He tells us where these things are happening, partly because where it happens is really important. Bethsaida. This healing happens in Bethsaida. And even today, if you got in a car on modern highways, it would take you an hour or two to get to Caesarea Philippi. Imagine walking, which is what Jesus and the disciples did. They walked to Caesarea Philippi. Now, why would they go to Caesarea Philippi? I mean, my goodness, it's clear up in the north. It's like going to Canada. Why would you go there unless you're from there? What is up in Caesarea Philippi? Why bother to go there when you're on your way to Jerusalem? What is Mark trying to theologically message to us? Why is this here? Anybody ever heard of a place called Mount Hermon? Mount Hermon is up near Caesarea Philippi. If you have your phone or internet connected device you can sit there right now and you can google mount Hermon 
or temples on Mount Hermon. And you will discover that throughout human history, there have been temples built on Mount Hermon to multiple deities. To deities, there's actually one on the top of Mount Hermon that was built. It was discovered in the 1800s. And a piece of this temple's foundation is in the British Museum. And there's an inscription on it. And the inscription talks about the weirdest story in the Bible from Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 tells the story of the sons of God who came down to the earth and saw that the daughters of men were good looking. And they decided to take them and procreate with them. It's a weird, weird story. You know, if you think about us and our context, are there any places on planet Earth that you associate with, oh, that's just an evil place because of what happened there? Is there any place like that on planet Earth that people think that's where pure evil occurred? Any places pop in your head? Any places? Auschwitz. Isn't that a place? Is that a place that you think, hey, this would be a great place to build a home and, and open up a, a, a business? You think, man, we should build a church here. Another place, we just thought about this last week, Ground Zero. The destruction of the Twin Towers. There are places in this world that because of what happened there, and because of how horrific, how evil, how terrible it was, we collectively associate those places as being bad. Right? Guess what Mount Hermon was like in Jesus' day and age? And by the way, if you're interested and you got one of those Strong's Concordances or you got one of those Bible software things, enter in Mount Hermon and see how often Mount Hermon is discussed in the Old Testament through the Psalms, through the prophets. And it is a place that God wants to take and make his own. Over and over and over again, it says, I will have Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon will be mine. And none of us get it. None of us get it because we don't know geography. We don't know Bible. We don't know what Mount Hermon symbolizes. We don't know what this is about. And what he's saying, what he's telegraphing to us all over the scriptures is God will defeat evil. Even the horrific evil out Mount Hermon will be reversed, will be defeated. If you go to Google, you will see images of Mount Hermon. You will see temples. There's temples on the Lebanon side of Mount Hermon. There's temples on the Syrian side and the Jordanian side. There's temples on the Israeli side. There are temples littered literally all over Mount Hermon. Do you think that's coincidence? Do you really think uh, that's a cool mountain? Let's all build temples on it. Why didn't that happen at Pikes Peak? Why didn't that happen on Mount Evans? Why didn't that happen? Because of the folklore, the legends, the Bible stories from Genesis 6 that are said to have happened on Mount Hermon. That's why Jesus goes to Mount Hermon on his way to Jerusalem. Now he goes up there 
And there's this other slide I want to show you. And when he gets there, the disciples and him, they see this. They see this. <clears throat> this is on the Israel side of Mount Hermon. This is actually a photo. So uh, Mount Hermon and, and Caesarea Philippi is a big touristy area because there's all these ancient ruins. They, they're not as in good repair now. <laughs> but this is on a placard in the parking lot when you get there. This is an artist's rendering of what it used to look like back in Jesus' day. And what you see is this temple over here. What side of the stage is that to you? I can never figure that out. Um, on that side over there, I'll just point. That is uh, the temple to Augustus. And it was built by Philip the guy in charge of this region. And why do you think he built a temple to the Emperor Augustus? In high school, we called it brown nosing. He wants Augustus to like him. He's appeasing the Romans. They're in charge. And he wants to make sure that Augustus likes him and keeps him in power. So they build this temple to the Emperor Augustus. It was the latest, greatest, newest cult. Worship the Emperor and that is in Caesarea Philippi. And you might notice it's in front of this dark thing on the drawing, right? That's a cave. That cave actually exists. It's the, the Grotto of Pan. And this is where it was said in the ancient world that the entrance to Sheol existed. The entrance to Hades. And this was a place that people from all over the ancient world thought of as a supernatural mountain. Next to that is, is uh, you, you can't really see it. There's people between the two temples. There's a group of people standing, and there's these little uh, cutouts in the, the wall, and they would have put little uh, you know, gods and idols in those places and worshiped them. That was the Grotto of Pan. Yeah, he's the little goat god thing, half man, half goat thing that they worshiped. And then next to that, that's the, uh, the Temple of Pan. I mean, it's, it's just a place full of pagan idolatry pagan worship and it's just like a a conglomeration it's a who's who of who should we worship today i don't know let's create these little grotto things so we can just bring stuff from home and put it in there and we can all worship it this is where jesus goes this is where he goes to start his way to jerusalem you know what i think he's doing i think he's going to hell and he's kicking the gate in I think he's going to hell and he's kicking the front door down. Did you know he'll be dead in a week? Did you know that he goes here and he picks a fight? It takes Mark eight chapters to finish up his story to cover that week. It took him eight chapters to cover three years. But he slows stuff down. Because this is significant. Jesus, if you remember, there's some parallel stories of this event. And one of them, the uh, Catholic Church really likes. Because he goes to Peter in Matthew and he says, On Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And the Catholic Church has gotten a little crazy about that one. And I think the whole rock in- incident, the whole, I'm building my church incident i think it stems to all the old testament discussion about god wants mount Hermon. <laughs> god isn't one to leave auschwitz 
to evil. God isn't one to leave ground zero to evil. God isn't one to leave Mount Hermon, Mount Bashan, this region to evil. He wants to take it back. He wants to redeem it. If you saw a video of this place, you'd be like, oh, this is beautiful. I almost put some video in, but um, it would lull you to sleep. Because it's just, you know, it's a beautiful river. This is actually where one of the, one of the headwaters of the J- Jordan River begins up here. And it's, they, they have all these beautiful, you know, birds chirping in the background and the water flowing. And you're just like, oh, it's beautiful. But you forget how the ancients thought. I mean, they thought it was beautiful too, but they also thought this is the supernatural mountain. This is where we all connect with the gods. And God in the flesh decides to come over and kick the door in. Now, back to the blind guy and the two touches. Back to Peter and who do people say that I am. Could you imagine a seminary or a a, a college professor after teaching you for three years? At the end of those three years, at the end of his course, he turns to the class and says, Class, who do people say that I am? (laughs) Be like, you're Dr. So-and-so. How many, if you ever went to school, (laughs) anybody here went to school? How many of you at the end of the class, if the professor said, the whole point of the class is for you to answer this question. Are you ready? Here's the final exam. Are you ready for the final exam? Charlie's ready. He stood up. The, the thing is this. Who do you say I am? Kids, wouldn't you love a final like that? Oh my gosh, Miss Rebus. That's like the easiest questions you could. You're Mrs. Rebus. Do I get an A? Are you serious? That's the final exam? Who do people say that I am after three years of campouts and walking around and watching you heal people and, he, and, and, and giving people food and you walked on water and calmed storms and raised dead people? At the end of that, the exam is who do people say that I am? Did you hear the disciples? Well, some people say Elijah. Some people say John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say some of the prophets. Have you ever read the Old Testament prophets? If you're doing our our weekly reading, you're right now in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is the number one quoted book from the Old Testament by the Apostle Paul. It is the number one quoted book of the Old Testament quoted by Mark. It is the number one Old Testament book quoted all over the New Testament. My guess is we need to know what Old Testament Isaiah is about. And the people, they are saying, you're like one of the prophets of old. And what we know of the prophets of old was they were a bunch of wackos from the people's perspective. They were the ones that did crazy things and said it was God that caused them to do it. They were the ones that said mean, nasty things. They were the ones that stood up for social injustice. They were the ones that stood up for righteousness. They were the ones that said, you're oppressing poor people. You've got bad leadership. (coughs) whoops didn't mute it if you don't know what Jesus looked like to people in that day and age what did they say they thought of him nobody said people say you're a nice guy Jesus nobody said people say you're a great teacher Jesus nobody said 
People think you're a great miracle worker, Jesus. What did they say people say about Jesus? They said, they think you're a prophet. Like Elijah. (laughs) What stories do you know about Elijah? Elijah had a big showdown. He was on a mountain. Perhaps even Mount Hermon. And the prophets of Baal. And he said, hey, whoever is able to call down fire on their sacrifice from their God, then that's the real God. That's what Elijah did. That's the kind of guy people thought Jesus was. They didn't think he was just, well, he's this nice shepherdy guy who walks around with lambs around his neck and has wonderful, beautiful sayings to us about how good, good we're doing and how nice we are. Keep it up. No, they saw a guy who could call fire down from heaven and burn folks up if he wanted. Then he goes on and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? I mean, could you imagine after three years of campouts, three years of feedings, three years of raising people from the dead, three years of, 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 of ministry with this guy, and the final exam is that question? Who do you say I am? Is this a trick question? Why is that an important question? Why does Jesus ask this question after three years? Why does he ask it there? Why does Mark pair it with the two-touch healing of the blind man? I think Mark pairs this with the two-touch healing of the blind man because he's saying we're all spiritually blind. Every last one of us is spiritually blind. We're like that man. We're like the disciples who think the reason he's after us is because we didn't bring enough bread. (laughs) That's it. I mean, they are blind, spiritually blind. The amazing thing with spiritual blindness is you never know that you're blind. Did you know this? It's kind of like greed. You never know you're greedy. It's easier to see greed in somebody else. It's easier to see spiritual blindness in somebody else. And the only way your spiritual blindness can be fixed is if you come to Jesus. Spiritual sight, spiritual insight can only be given to you by Christ. It can only be a gift from God. This man, I don't think Jesus with this blind guy was having an off day. I think this was more than a miracle. It was a parable. It was a parable. He didn't have to go through the gyrations. He didn't need to spit on the guy. Wouldn't that be interesting, though? Being the guy, I'm going to talk to that guy in heaven. Dude, what was it like to be spit on by Jesus? That's amazing. God, spit on you. Wow. Do you ever think about it like that? Probably not. I'm weird. I know. Jesus didn't have to go through all this, but he did. Why? He's setting up a parable. One thing that's interesting. What if the guy had said, dude, I'm totally healed. I can see. Yeah, I can see stuff. Because he could see stuff, right? What did the text say? He saw people. 
walking around like trees. He could have spent his whole life trying to cut down people and talking to trunks. He had to be humble. Could you imagine being the guy who told Jesus, uh, no offense, God. By the way, maybe you've had these conversations with God. No offense, God, I think you got this wrong. (laughs) I don't think it's totally fixed. You ever had that conversation with God? I appreciate what you've done thus far, but (laughs) I don't think people look like elms. Touches him again. And what does the text say? His eyes were opened. Didn't say that earlier. It says his eyes are open. His sight was restored. This man had to be humble enough to tell Jesus, I don't see right. I don't see right. You touched me once, but I don't see right. You need to touch me again so I can see right. And then the disciples, they go have a walk. And Jesus' first question to them is, how do the blind people of the world see me? How do all the blind people who haven't spent three years on our camp out see me? Well, they think you're a prophet. They think you're John the Baptist. They think you're Elijah. All right. How do you see me? How blind are you, punks? That's what Jesus is saying. Peter says, you're the Christ, son of God. I wasn't going to read this next passage, but let's read this. Because before you think Peter's big britches here. Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter, the A-plus student, took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Is Peter still blind? Not totally. Not completely, but there's still some spiritual blindness there. He still doesn't get it. He thinks, cool, we found him. The king is here. Superman is here. He's going to start kicking tail. He's going to ride a white horse. We are on his side. It's awesome. We win. My guess is Jesus had insight into Peter that all this was going on in Peter's little pea brain. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, I just kicked the door in on hell. In a week's time, I'm going to be dead. No, 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 no. You're not that kind of king. (laughs) You are the king. You are the son of God. Gods don't die. What are you talking about? Let me set you straight, Jesus. Come here, Jesus. Let's have a conversation about this. And Jesus is like, dude, I can't even leave you alone with the other disciples. That's why you and John and Mark always come with me. It's not Mark. I can't remember the guy's name. That's why you guys always come with me when I go do things, because I can't leave you back at the campsite. Because you're the knuckleheads that start throwing axes at people. And you're going to take me aside and tell me? (laughs) Peter has profound spiritual blindness still. And what's the word for today? I mean, wow, cool, Steve. Amazing. Thank you. Can we leave now? 
Each of us have profound spiritual blindness. Even if you have been saved and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you are following him as your Lord and Savior, there is still spiritual blindness in your life. And if you don't know it, that just demonstrates how blind you are. You see, the proof that you are becoming more sighted spiritually is when you start realizing just how blind you are. You see, if you live another 10 years on planet Earth, you will look back at yourself now and think, boy, what a fool I was. I'm, being, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean with you. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Because think about yourself 10 years ago. Were there things your 10 yourself that was 10 years ago did that you think, boy, I was a fool. Why did I do it that way? Why wasn't I smart enough to see through the situation, to do it differently? How come I didn't start socking away money? Why didn't I see the housing bubble? And I could have bet against the American economy like that one movie and made tons of money. Why is myself from 10 years ago not as smart as the self right now? I was a fool back then. And guess what you're going to say 10 years from now? I was a fool then. I guess if you tarry, do you know how often I have said recently, I wish I could take my 47-year-old brain and stick it into my 17-year-old body? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that? Because I don't want to be 17 again mentally. But physically, knowing what I know now, oh my gosh, world, look out. That'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. I'd probably change some stuff that that fool 17-year-old Steve Weinkoop did, that that fool 27-year-old Steve Weinkoop did, that that fool 37-year-old Steve Weinkoop did. I'd probably change some things. And if I live 10 years longer, 57-year-old Steve would change things that 47-year-old fool Steve did. Can I get an Amen. Are you with me? Is this clear? Do you think this is true? We're blind. This, is the, this has everything to do with blindness. That we are unable to see. We are unable to anticipate. We're unable to understand. And if you look down your nose, if you get impatient, if you get grumpy with people who don't believe or believe less than you, then you're blind. Because spiritual sight is a gift from God. You had nothing to do with it. That's why we can't look at people, we can't look at, we can't look at people who don't believe in Christ, who don't follow God. We can't look at people who are pagans, who are making crazy decisions. We can't look at them and go, oh, thank God I'm not like them. In fact, Jesus records a prayer of a guy like that. Pharisee goes to the temple, says, God, thank you. Man, my voice is so cool today. (laughs) God, thank you I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm saved and I'm amazing and you're lucky to have me on your team. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. That's in some of our hearts. And it demonstrates blindness there's a story later on I don't think Mark includes it but Luke does 
Jesus has risen from the dead. That whole thing's behind him. (laughs) I'm sure Jesus is happy. Kind of like we'll be when we are raised from the dead. We'll be happy this life is behind us. Because like one guy I heard, he said, if you don't believe in Christ, this this is the closest to heaven. This life is the closest to heaven you'll ever be. If you follow Christ, this is the closest to hell you'll ever be. And so if that's the case and we follow Christ, there's going to come a day when we're in our resurrected bodies and we're going to be like, man, thank God that was over. That sucked. And then I died. There's a t-shirt with that saying. And there's a story in Luke where Jesus returns. The resurrected Jesus returns. He magically, amazingly, probably not magically, but somehow appears in the upper room with the disciples. <laughs> and Mark, or excuse me, Luke, the writer, says, and Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Huh. You mean the, the light didn't go on when resurrected Jesus is standing there? You mean, you, mean they, you mean Jesus had to open their mind? That's what the Bible says. Do you believe what the Bible says? The Bible says resurrected Jesus had to open their minds because them in their humanity standing there looking at resurrected Jesus couldn't get it. That's profound spiritual blindness. And that's what the text tells us about ourselves. We experience profound spiritual blindness. So if you follow Jesus Christ, thank God that he has given you that gift. But do not gloat. Do not look down your nose at people who don't follow Christ. Also, quit coming to me to help you with your spiritual blindness. Where do we go? Who do we turn to with our spiritual blindness? Who opens our minds? Who opens our eyes to the spiritual truths? Who, who do we need to go to? Who did the blind night guy need to go to? He didn't need to go to a doctor. Hey, doc, uh, this miracle worker did this thing, but I'm still, I, maybe I need contacts. Maybe I got cataracts. Maybe I got a problem. I mean, you know, stay with me. This is metaphorical here. If you got eye problems, go to the doctor. But you had to go to Jesus. If you feel stuck in your spiritual walk, if you feel like I can't get from here to there, I feel like I'm always doing the same thing, always repeating the same nonsense, I'm always stuck in myself, in this place, don't come to me. You can if you want, but you know what I'm going to say to you? Sounds like spiritual blindness, and I only know one guy who can fix that. And I'll tell you, Have you talked to Christ about it? Have you asked Jesus about it? Have you asked Jesus to open your mind, open your eyes? See, one thing we talk about in Christianity is that coming to Christ is a relationship, not religion. And yet so much of the time to deal with our spiritual blindness, even in the church, we turn to religion instead of relationship. Turn to Jesus. I mean, even if you've been saved for 40 years, turn to Jesus. 
and ask him and talk to him and ask him to reveal to you and remove the blindness from your eyes. Because we all need more than one touch from Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these weird but important stories. Father, for those of us who are struggling in our everyday life, we feel blind, we feel stuck, we don't know what to do. Father, whisper in us that we need to turn to you. Sometimes it's all there is and we get stuck wanting to turn to other things. Let us turn to you just like you taught Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We are all poor and we are all blind and we need our eyes opened. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you insight. Let him remove the blindness and know how far you have yet to go. Amen.